Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wondery Country of the Kulin Nations, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Aoife Cook. why culturally we're so messed up about talking about things that are related to our bodies and related to our sexuality because I think it's really harmful and it gives people a lot of needless anxiety. This week's guest is Dr Lauren Rose Warren. She is a senior lecturer in the School of Social and Political Sciences at the University of Melbourne. She writes, she comments, she speaks on a wide variety of topics, including gender, sexuality, public policy, social media, pop culture, technology, and of course, taboo. I spoke to her on the phone about her 2012 book, Periods in Pop Culture, Menstruation in Film and Television. And just a warning, this show is not for the squeamish. What I wanted to know, I mean, you're, you're somebody who's looked into periods of menstruation through your studies, your academic work. I guess you just have an interest in it as well um, and, and lots of kind of media work as well. So it's great to have you with 3CR at the moment. And I suppose my main question is, with all these conversations around periods of menstruation recently, are public conversations about this topic still taboo? because it depends what circles you move in. Uh, I haven't, uh, you know, it's been a very long time since I've been in a, uh, a situation where it wouldn't be comfortable, but then I've created a life for myself as an adult where I'm surrounded by people who have shared values. I think, however, there are still pockets where uh, there is still an element of taboo. The fact, for example, uh, that the Chinese swimmer got a lot of attention for talking about her menstruation publicly uh, during the Olympics highlighted that for some people uh, there's still a, a, a little room <laughs> a little room to go to, to being comfortable with such conversations. Uh, the Daily Mail, for example, republished an article I wrote about pads and tampons. And if you read through the comments on the Daily Mail, a site that I don't usually write for, yeah. you know, there's quite a few comments of, of people saying things like, in my day, these matters would have been kept private. Now, because I'm not used to writing in that forum, um, I'd never see comments like that in the conversation or the ABC where I normally write. So uh, it was quite jarring to me that there were still people who felt that this was a private matter uh, and not to be spoken about in a, in a news website. Oh, yeah. So they weren't saying, oh, isn't it great things have moved on? They were more saying, oh, you know, this is a bit personal and what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, and this still comes up in academic research. For example, uh, research on advertising, uh, feminine hygiene product advertising, people still in, in studies will report that they find it uncomfortable to watch advertisements with their family members uh, when it's feminine hygiene products being marketed. And so, you know, it's only recently that in advertising or a small amount of the advertising of, of products such as that, that some companies are moving away from depictions of you know, what we all grew up with is, you know, <laughs> if it was on TV when you were growing up, this idea of pads with blue sterile liquids. Yeah. And only recently there's a bit of a recognition that periods are about, dare I say it, actual blood. And so what, what can you describe these ads and why do you think that change has happened? Yeah, and look, and this change isn't 
quite universal yet. I mean, you know, it was only two years ago that in the United States a magazine, wanted, uh, a company wanted to, it was the Always Company, wanted to run an advertisement in a magazine which had an outline of a, of a sanitary napkin with one red ink dot across the entire um uh, illustration and the magazine wouldn't run it they felt that it was still crossing a taboo and I think this idea of getting more comfortable with talking about about periods for example you know there was a television commercial on uh, from carefree two years ago in Australia that used the word discharge for example mm -hmm. but generally blood is still avoided and blood's still avoided because there is a squeamishness factor that advertisers need to be really careful about because that's both men and women who find that a bit gross so it's tricky in terms of certainly we've moved on far beyond the horse riding, windsurfing advertisements that were teaching us about all of the wonderful advantages for lifestyle that tampons posed. Mm -hmm. But to pretend that ad ad advertising is now... Um, assuming a, a, a completely comfortable audience. That's not the case, but you could actually liken that to how toilet paper is advertised as well. Okay. It doesn't talk about uh, how the product is used in any in any um, meaningful way because, again, <laughs> culturally, we're still squeamish. Hi. What kind of a day did you have today? Mom, guess what? I don't know. What? Mom, I started my first period. Well, what do you know? Come on, sit down. Tell me about it. When did it start? Well, it was this afternoon when I was changing into my gym clothes, and I noticed a bit of blood on my panties, and golly, at first I thought, well, I didn't know what to think. And then I remembered when we talked about menstru... Menstruation. Menstruation and stuff, and, well, then I went to see Miss Jensen. Oh, my goodness. How do you feel? Mm, kind of funny-like. I mean, well, I was hoping it would start soon. But it seems like I've forgotten everything you've told me. All right. I tell you what we'll do. Tonight will be mother and daughter conference night. And if you'll give me a hand with supper, we'll get started that much earlier. Okay, I'll wash up and be right down. Okay, and that is a common criticism of, um, you know, more recent what we might call period activism and art around menstruation, that humans generally veer away from discussing or chatting about or, let's say, public, publicly playing with our body's waste products. And the products of our monthly, monthly cycles are no different. A lot of people consider it waste. Would you see that analogy as fair enough or very strong? Or do you think that's... What's, what's your take? I won't put it's, words in your mouth. <laughs> it's certainly natural. As humans, we're taught to keep away from substances that could cause us harm in the sense that if you have an open wound, that can transmit illness. If you, therefore, if there's blood, we tend to steer clear of that. Same as, you know, urine and feces. These are uh, substances as a, a natural human compulsion to find them a bit gross, just as we feel about phlegm and other kinds of, and saliva. These are... These are waste products, but they're also uh, um, substances that harbour disease. So there's a, a biological element to our, you know, grossed outness, if you like. But I think the other aspect of this is: it, is it a waste product in the way that we think of? Um, because if you think of urine or feces, they're purely about. Um, uh, ridding the body of, uh, of, of waste material. Yeah. 
we've got that same element with menstruation, but there's a closer connection to fertility there that's probably not the same um, in terms of urine or feces. And I think another element is, is there's a very gendered component to it where it's not universal in the way that we all urinate. Uh, this is something that's... Uh, unique to uh you know p people with it with with the the female reproductive system and in a certain age group as well so again uh, it's, it's tricky i'm conflicted i don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with people feeling icked out about blood for example i'm a vegetarian i don't like walking past a butcher shop there's a squeamishness factor there for me i think however there's a difference between natural doubtness and shaming other people and I think they're two different things. I'm actually just interested in this concept of taboo and why culturally we're so messed up about talking about things that are related to our bodies and related to our sexuality because I think it's really harmful and it gives people a lot of needless anxiety. Okay so it's you know what people do with that what might you might call mild disgust and how they kind of promote that idea of something being disgusting and like the Daily Mail comments that you encounter that it, it shouldn't be discussed to an extent that, you know, it's just seriously inappropriate. Yeah, and this, because this is a way to silence women. You know, there's a lot of topics, for example, that women have dared spoken about throughout history. For example, sexual harassment and rape and domestic violence where a lot of pockets in the community would have been very happy for women to shut up about those topics. That never advantages women. And I think if you're someone who is comfortable about talking about your periods, is comfortable making art from your blood, I think that's a very personal thing. But I don't think we're ever going to get to a stage in, in society where all women are going to want to participate in that. Because, again, there is some natural um, natural qualities to wanting to keep, or at least certainly uh, well-established social aspects to wanting to keep bathroom events private, you know, things that we associate with hygiene, to be keeping them away from other people, just as we don't make a public display of other, um, you know, personal care rituals such as teeth brushing, for example. Well, I, but if you did write an article about teeth brushing, you certainly wouldn't be getting those kind of aggressive comments. You, Unquestionably. You, and, and there's also not the same gendered component and, and, and effort to silence women as well. I just think that there is, um, you know, uh, some menstrual activists would have us believe that, it, that there will be a time, for example, or at least that that's an, an aspiration that we all get to this point where we're out and proud about our bleeding. I don't actually think that that's necessarily what all women want, or even whether it's actually advantageous to women. Okay. Um, well, as someone who's very familiar with the pop culture around a lot of this stuff, what's your favourite episode from a book or a TV or a film about periods of menstruation? I really like Roseanne, which is a sitcom uh, very, very late 80s and mostly in the 90s, that, which is funny, I have to go that far back to find a, a, an example that I, I really think uh, did something unique with the storyline. What are you doing? Getting rid of all this junk. Oh, I get it. You think you got to leave this stuff behind you now. Like women have to give up baseball gloves and start wearing aprons and stuff. All I know is I'm not shaving my legs or wearing pantyhose like Becky. <laughs> 
You think I make Becky put on makeup and wear perfume? No. No, she doesn't because she's always liked that kind of stuff. That's the kind of woman she wants to be. Well, that's not the kind of woman I want to be. Well, then what are you throwing all your stuff away for? These are a girl's things, Darlene, as long as a girl uses them. You love all this stuff. That's reason enough to keep it. I'm probably going to start throwing like a girl now anyway. <laughs> Definitely. And since you've got your period, you're going to be throwing a lot farther. <laughs> oh, God, why me? Because you're lucky. Right. Move. Now you, you get to be part of the whole cycle of things. You know, the moon and the water the seasons. It's almost magical, Darlene. You should be really proud today, because this is the beginning of a lot of really wonderful things in your life. Yeah, cramps. That idea of seeing this as a potential celebration and milestone for women is a very rare presentation in our culture because, again, as we spent you know, the first part of our conversation talking about, we have a tendency to relegate menstruation as a hygiene bathroom event as opposed to seeing it as a milestone or a rite of passage. Mm, and you know, um, would you have a strong sense of whether that is something that a lot of Australian families do nowadays? Are more people celebrating the arrival of, uh, you know, a girl's first period or, or do we not know? Yeah, I haven't seen data on that. I certainly see, for example, you know, anecdotally that, that, that women particularly as sort of feminists and, and, and their daughters and daughters go on to have children, that they're trying really hard not to make it a shameful, um, a, sh a shameful first experience for girls. Because when you look at research, lots of um, women's first experience of, of their own menstruation is actually quite traumatising. You know, I, I, even even recently, if, you, if you've read Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants, she, she tells a story about being so used to the idea of the blue liquid and oh, the... And these ad advertisements that when she got her first period and there was blood there, she paid no attention whatsoever to it. That wasn't her period. She was waiting for something completely different. And I think that's a comic example, but there's lots of examples where there's a real gap because of our phobia about talking about blood. There's a real gap between women's and girls' expectations and reality. So when it happens, it can actually be quite traumatising. So I think there's some work there that needs to be done. And some parents do an amazing job with it, but... If you've got girls getting their periods at 10 and 11 years old and sex education in schools doesn't start until high school, you've got a real gap there and a burden placed on parents to make sure that the education transpires before that first traumatic experience of, oh my God, I'm bleeding to death. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, obviously that's where the media and pop culture has a huge role, whether we want it to or not. Across Australia... You're listening to Women on the Line on the Community Radio Network. You can find us online at 3cr.org.au or connect with the programme on Facebook or on Twitter. I'm speaking to Dr Lauren Rosewarne about periods, privacy and how it might impact on our pay packets. And are there any kind of depictions that you, you come across? We've talked already about advertising, but besides that, that you'd feel that are 
you know, damaging or just seriously unhelpful? Look, I think there's a lot of examples where it's just bad education. You use that term information about, um, you know, where people get information. This is really where my research lies. I like to look at mm. um, topics that uh, the media present that sort of fill gaps that we don't get at school. Okay. And I think the informal education that we get from media is quite interesting because we get these perceptions about things um, that we take almost as given if they're repetitive. And I think one example would be just stupid miseducation about um, you know things like premenstrual syndrome. They've got you know a rec- recurring theme in sitcoms, for example, would have a male character say, look at a calendar and say, oh, it must be the 14th again. Now, any woman who's actually ever had a period is going to know every month is not the same length of day. So the idea that you're always going to have be at the same point in your cycle every 14th is pretty ridiculous. But this is just one of those examples where there's this perception that um, that that men know nothing about menstruation and that that's okay, that it's perfectly acceptable in our culture for a man to be completely ignorant about the functioning of a woman's body. Mm. And and do you think it reflects reality even if it's not aspirations you think it yeah (laughs) well I think we've got this culture where and I certainly when I was at school this separation of men and women in terms of what we teach in in sex education as though menstruation is stuff that only women need to worry about and men don't hear about it so even things such as quantity of blood you know there's lots of um, films for example that will have gags about uh, you know jokes about blood and it'll be quantity there's a film where a woman trips in a in a in a supermarket and she floods the the, the supermarket floor with blood. Now, these ideas that a woman will possibly bleed that much or that recurring, you know, never trust anyone who bleeds five days in a row and doesn't die, Mm. those perceptions about how is it possible that women can bleed and not die or not bleed to death, for example, the fact that men don't know about this is actually a real indictment about our sex education, but also an indictment that how are we a culture, how have we gotten to this where we're so awkward about talking about things that, you know, 51% of the population will experience for 30 years of their life. God, that was that high-end screeching, oh, like someone's yes. killing a cat in here. Some kind of shouty cat. What's going on? Bring it down. I'm Bring so, it down. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just a little bit, you know, you know. Why? Why? Well, I've got, you know, at the moment, so... What? I've got Aunt Irma visiting. Do you not like Aunt Irma? I've got... I've got an aunt like that. It's my term for my time of the month. Oh. What time of the month? The weekend? (laughs) Does Aunt Irma visit on the weekend? Moss? You know, it's high tide. But we're not on the coast. I'm Moss. Closed for maintenance. Closed for maintenance. Moss. I've fallen to the communists. Well, they do have some strong arguments. <laughs> Carrie! Moss, first seen in Carrie. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 No. No. Yeah. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> I wanted to talk about menstruation leave, and maybe you could explain exactly what it is. Yeah, so this is a concept that's been around in Asia, actually, for quite a few decades already, which is a policy that, much like sick leave, there's, an, there's, there's a recognition in certain countries that uh, some women suffer from 
um, menstrual-related symptoms. It may not just be PMS. It could be cramps. It could be um, very heavy bleeding, for example. And therefore, as a result of... Um, uh, health issues related to their periods that they may need some extra time off le off work and therefore um, governments or, or employers are more accepting to that in terms of generosity of, of sick leave policies. And it's been something that in Australia some unions have actually advocated for by uh, questioning whether... Uh, this is actually something we could look at in Australia because if a woman, for example, has this reoccurring health issue every month, uh, her leave, her existing sick leave, uh, will be exhausted quite quickly and won't uh, facilitate her actually just getting a cold, for example, because she won't have enough days left. And so the idea is that it would be distinguished from sick leave as an extra thing available to uh, women or you know people with reproductive periods of a certain yep. age you know so it is distinguishable rather than people who are unwell in a traditional sense or traditional yeah and you're scenario. highlighting uh this is something mm. i've written about before and you're highlighting a really what i think is a, is a tricky area because there's going to be some women who have never had any problems with their periods and there are others who are going to be in agony for two days a month now Will a workplace be reluctant to take on a woman who has a history of, 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 of using menstrual leave? Because again, you know, is this a good bet in terms of, of a productive workforce? So I think I'd probably prefer to see uh, just a, a pocket of discretionary days available for men and women. Um, I think, for example, in, in terms of men, no, they're by and large not going to be needing uh, menstrual leave. But men, for example, are very reluctant to take days off uh, for mental health issues. So I think there are a lot of things, not just menstruation, that affect people's productivity in the workforce that I think could benefit from some days away from the office as well. Um, and also I just think there's a discomfort on, you know, you're probably not going to feel inclined to go and tell your boss, actually, I need... Uh, two days off a month because I'm going to be hugging a hot water bottle. Yeah, but of course, instigating a policy like that would allow those conversations to happen or to increase. I mean, I, if, if that's the route you were going down. Yeah, I, I, yes, except for the fact that I, just making a policy won't necessarily make women more comfortable with doing so. And mm. I think I think that I'm very nervous. I mean, and paid maternity leave gives us a very good case study of how so many employers are so reluctant and were so reluctant to get on board with that because of this fear that, well, I would rather pick a more productive uh, employer who's, who's not going to take two days off per month. Now, I think also there's a biological... Um, well, feminists have long been concerned about this playing up of the biological differences between men and women because it's been, in certain contexts, limited women's uh, opportunities in the workforce. So I think making a policy that's predicated on saying women are different and have specific health needs that need to be attended to, I'm not sure that this is, this is particularly helpful for women in terms of climbing the corporate ladder, for example, where they're already being framed as somewhat disabled or differently abled. Yeah, but of course, like maternity leave, what's needed to facilitate women and their bodies 
is <laughs> what's needed is needed. You know, we're not going to say we're not going to have uh, maternity policies because it doesn't suit people's careers, of course. And we don't say that because it's ridiculous. No, I, and I agree with that part, which is why I... And I'm also uh, quite supportive of women being able to time off because of their periods. But mm. I think I've got a bit of an issue with calling it menstrual leave, I must say. I'd rather see some discretionary days about uh, and being used however you need to use them yeah. uh, rather than, you know, calling it period leave because I just think there's a bit of a, um, a cost to women that isn't acknowledged uh, when we advocate for it as feminists. Yeah, and I love that. I love hitting topics that hit across different different approaches to feminism. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you went there. That's good. I like that. Thank you so much, Lauren, for Anytime. joining us. Thank you for having me. And you can find out more about Lauren's work on taboo, pop culture and more on her website, www.laurenrosewarn.com. And now, something that might sound a little familiar to bring us to the end of this week's show. What's happening to me? Am I dying? (laughs) Dying? Honey, no. You've just started living. I think I'm bleeding. You're right, you're not dying. Here's the thing. Your mother should have warned you. But don't worry, cause I'm gonna sing. You've got this feeling, knots are twisting deep inside. Your emotions on a roller coaster ride. Don't keep it in, just let I'm here to show you how fun this all can be It's not your fault, my dear, you didn't know But now you know Let it flow, let it flow Can't hold it back anymore Let it flow, let it flow That's what these type of things are On the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Programme. 
It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation.